Howdy folks, welcome to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fake Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. If you need to get in touch on Facebook, you can find me at Teal, like the color, T-E-A-L Productions, or Lords of Order. On Twitter, it would be Teal Productions as well. Email address is the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com and the website bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate. Now I'm looking at first issue special from DC number nine. It's cover dated December 1975, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, its on sale date is September 18th, 1975. Now this was scripted for us by Martin Pascoe. Penciled and inked by Walt Simonson. Colors, who knows. Lettered by Ben Oda and Walt Simonson. The cover was provided for us by Mr. Joe Kubert, Tatiana Woods, and Gaspar Saladino. Kind of a collaborative effort. And it has a newish, it has at the very top the first issue special logo, which is common across all, I don't know, 13 or 15 of the books. Um, For those of you not familiar, first issue special was a... um, a get it in front of people's eyes books. I, I hesitate to say a tryout book because there were several properties that had been used in the past or even had been already given the okay to proceed forward. Others were brand new properties. So there was a mix. Ran for about a year. So I guess that's about 12 issues, maybe 13 issues. Uh, Dr. Fate was one of the characters. Uh, Warlord was one of the characters. As we record and approximately when you listen to this, there is a series that DC is finishing up or just finished up that went back and gave a contemporary spin to a variety of the characters from this uh, series. Danger Street, I believe, is what it's called. And it has several, if not all, of the characters from DC First Issue Special in it in a more modern take on the characters, uh, putting them together against each other and what have you. I'm not overly familiar with what it is. It didn't interest me at the time. But I know one, Mr. Peter Rios, has been reading and podcasting about it as he finishes the issues. So to get a really, really good review of that book, refer to the Daily Rios, uh, that, or actually the Daily Rios Digest, excuse me, that Peter puts out approximately once a week. And then one out of every four of those, once a month, roughly, he talks about Danger Street. All right, back to the cover. Let's see here. The Dr. Fate logo was designed for us by Mr. Gaspar Saladino. We're told the master of magic battles the mummy that time forgot. And so on the cover, you see, well, you you don't see a mummy, actually. (laughs) You see Dr. Fate, and he is... uh, Lords of Ordering against a Sphinx that has been sent crashing into a contemporary city. And uh, Dr. Fate is on a street with city buildings on either side and at the bottom background of the cover. Regular common people line left to right the bottom portion of the cover. And Dr. Fate, uh, I assume he's attempting to stop this Sphinx from falling. Loosely tied into the story, but there is not an image of this nature uh, in the text. And they kind of missed it. I guess Joe didn't get the note about Dr. Fate battling a mummy because this is a sphinx. So, uh, But he did include a sphinx with no nose, so that's cool. And and the, 
the art. If you're at all familiar with Joe Kubert, this is very distinctly Kubert art. It's it's a giveaway as to who did it. Uh, let's see. The next page has a Batman ad for Hostess fruit pies. The cherry and apple fruit pies, to be exact. All right, story page. We have an image of Dr. Fate stance semi- seemingly as if he were riding a surfboard, but there is nothing beneath him. He is riding a magical current or a current of air, what have you. He's gliding across the page from upper left to lower right slightly. The lower left-hand side of the page has Dr. Fate's tower and the swoosh of energy slash air that he's riding. You can see exiting circling off the page and then coming back around to not only be what he is writing, but also to encapsulate him to where he is covered. Often has the crystal orb of Naboo cast its awesome radiance over this land, but never before this night has it shone with such urgency, such foreboding. It portends the struggle I have dreaded all my life. He's in the um, standard blue and yellow outfit with the full helm on. He's going, it seems, to the Boston Museum of Egyptology. But right before he arrives, we have Anderson, uh, I would say maybe Mr. Anderson, not Mr. Anderson, not not that one from the computer world of Matrix. No, this is a green, green suited uh, Mr. Anderson, who is somehow proprietary over the Egypt relics uh, here at the museum, and he's giving a tour to Dr. McGill, who is a distinguished visitor in town. In particular is the recently dug up relics of a religious cult dating from the Middle Kingdom, approximately 2025 BC. And as they walk in, a sarcophagus that is vertical is opening, and you see a hand as if the hand that is pushing it open And the two gentlemen react in such a way that we are told by the narrator. The curator's hysterical scream hasn't yet died as the mage of mystery shimmers through the museum's stone walls. I like that description because it tells you how Dr. Fate entered the building. The artwork, not so much. Uh, You see he is quasi-surrounded by nimbus of energy. You can't necessarily tell that that's a wall that he's coming through. It, it could be a hallway that he's coming down as he has entered by traditional means called a door. And, you know, but you, you can't really tell. So the narrator clues us in and we find that he is confronted by a pair of broken bodies, stark terror etched on their white faces. And laying here, we see McGill and Anderson. Dr. Fate thinks by Ishtar, it's already begun. But what shape has the evil taken? Wait, now I sense it. Great evil. The lingering presence of a servant of Anubis. And then wham, big letters, W-H-A-M, as Dr. Fate is cold-cocked by a rather large mummy. Eyes and open mouth infused with reddish energy. That's what you see looking at the figure. Now, his scanning for this evil... Or, or how he was able to sense the evil uh, is something I haven't seen from Dr. Fate before. His eyes are emitting energies of three different colors and simultaneous geographic uh, 
geographic architecture, straight straight line energy, but also some squiggly energy in a, in amongst it. So it's a combination look of three different colors and two different like wave forms emitting from his eyes or the eyes of the helmet, I should say. Uh, blah 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 by the mummy. Uh, how dare you? I'm going to beat you, Doctor Fate. No, you're not. The name Callus is dropped by Doctor Fate, recognizing who this mummy is. Maybe that's through this same energy that he was using here at the beginning of the page. Either way, he summons a large target-looking nimbus of red and black energy with an ankh in the middle instead of Captain America's star, which we now know means nothing good, actually, in Marvel Comics, the star symbol. Um, and it, it surrounds the mummy in this nimbus energy with a backup circlet of energy composed of onks just kind of tied together there. But the mummy shatters it all. And so the, the coolest thing about the artwork is that the onks all fall down onto the ground of the, the floor of the museum as if they're pieces of something that the mummy has shattered. You are a wizard without wisdom, fate to know me and yet not recognize that as my strength increases, and he reaches over and grabs just a huge part of the display and slings it, striking Dr. Fate. You grow even weaker, and he's knocked him to the floor, knocking him out senseless, and he reaches down and he grabs Fate's amulet off of his, where did he have it, off of his chest, and leaves. Fool to have had such power not realize it. No matter, it is mine now, and neither he nor all the lords of life may steal it from me anew. From this night forward, I control man's destiny, for I control the power. Leaving Dr. Fate there, uh, drooling uh, on the floor, which I just presume, you know, you can't really tell because he's got the full helm. So, but yeah, I'll say he's laying there drooling. Narrator tells us hours pass as the mystic lies motionless, locked in a death-like sleep, until at last a finger of sunlight slowly prods him back to consciousness. Well, it must have been very, must not have been very death-like if all it took was a little bit of sunshine to wake him up. But now uh, there is some sunshine, though he's gone. Uh, in reference to the, yeah, never mind. Hear me, O great Ka, Lord of the Ethereal Plane, grant me communion with Callus, so that my mind may be merged with his, Dr. Fate is casting his spell. It's futile. Armed with the amulet of Naboo, Callus now has the power to blot out my psychic probe, to resist any astral influence. And this image is of Fate casting a spell with an energy nimbusing from his hand in concentric circles with an ankh a black onk in the middle of the concentric circles. His eyes, though, helmet, are emitting these bands of light energy as well. So, unable to determine where Callus is, he summons up this, uh, this breadth of energy or this breadth of wind that he left his, um, his tower using. He returns using the same method. Phasing through the wall, he says, Hail Enza, as she is standing here in the room that he faces into. And she's surprised, of course, by his appearance. And he says, I have returned your husband to you. And then he collapses and passes out. Kent, she exclaims, Oh, Lord, not again, as she drags him somewhere, um, infirmary, I guess, or maybe their bedroom, and attempts to nurse him to health. Things are going poorly between the Nelsons. He is sitting here, um, 
she is holding the helm and says, I won't ask you what it was this time, Kent. I know better than to think you can tell me, but I'll tell you something, Kent Nelson. I've had it up to here with, hey, you're hurt. And he says, uh, what what time is it? I mean, how, how long was I? She continues on, gone? You're asking me? I'm just Ms. Nelson, Mrs. Nelson, and Dr. Fate doesn't tell me anything. I bandage your wounds, wake you up from your nightmares. I stay up all night wondering if you'll ever come home, but will he tell me what he does to you? No. Kent uh, says, do we have to go through this now? And say, he's, you mean me. I'm Dr. Fate. No, Kent, you're not. You're Kent Nelson, my husband, the archaeologist. Kent Nelson doesn't fly. He doesn't cast spells. He doesn't summon demons. He's my husband, and my husband has a face, not a mask. My husband is a kind and loving but ordinary man, and that kind of man doesn't run after ridiculous menaces which don't concern him, then come home half dead. He doesn't dump himself in the lap of the woman he lo- who loves him. Uh, here, drink your coffee. And then ask her to just put him back together. Kent, and he's fallen asleep, so she launches the coffee cup saucer and hot liquid at him. It strikes the chair that he's sleeping in next to his head and bursts, crashes. I can't handle it anymore, she says. I just can't. It's so many things, not just what happens to you. It's this place. It's it's living like a prisoner, having no friends. It's knowing that I can't share what you feel when you're fate. It's having half a husband. It's, what's the use? He's zonked out anyways. And when he comes around, I won't be here. And the tower um, apparently responds to her because she reaches, I guess she is leaving, exiting through the tower. She's just starting to walk through one of the walls here next to her. But Kent uh, Nay Nabu was listening. So it it did go into his head and he has record of what she said, uh, even though he did not respond and or was unconscious. So he rouses himself and goes to his library slash study to do some studying. Um, He scans the millennia in search of secrets for someone he knows that the wisdom of ancients is all that can save his world now, and he prays to a thousand gods at once that this wisdom is still within his grasp, especially now. And we see him leafing through um, a thick book that has, we'll say, cuneiform writings on it. He's reading, and he finds it. He finds the story began in 2030 BC at a temple on the Nile River here in the city of Babastis, B-U-B-A-S-T-I-S, Bubastis, I guess, uh, probably named after the goddess Bast in there. The worshippers of Bast yeah, meant in secret rites. Well, there you go. Into their midst came a priest named Callus, a mad priest, and he beseeched, though, though he was at a stronghold of Bast, and he was at a bastion, shall we? No. Um, a stronghold of Bast's powers and believers. He wanted to throw them down, to crush them. And he did so by calling on the god Anubis to help him. Uh, Anubis gave him an amulet, the same amulet that we have been calling the amulet of Nabu, but actually it's an amulet of Anubis. So Callus, with this amulet of Anubis rests control of Bast, uh, Bubastis from Bast's believers and inserts himself in control as a believer and follower of Anubis, takes control, lords it over the city, starts doing everything in Bubastis in the name of Anubis, 
making slaves of everyone until one day he encountered someone who would not be slaved by a mouthpiece for Anubis. This was Nabu, and using magic that he had discovered as, I guess, uh, he received these from the Lords of Life, I suppose. Um, he casts Callus down and takes the Ankh. Though it was created by Anubis, he now is using it, Nabu, to power the magic he can control given to him by the Lords of Life. Lords of, I would assume, order. In revenge, the people that had previously been slaved by Callus uh, mummify him and, and bury him. All with Anubis watching, saying, Fear not, Callus, you will know life in death until you have recovered the stolen talisman, if need be, for all time. So basically, he's like, uh, You're going to be there until you can get my amulet back, if you can get it back at all, which we saw him do at the beginning of this story. Uh, so that's, that's our, our full circle. Kent slams the book closed, Nabu. He never told me the amulet's secret, only that one day someone named Callus would try to take it from me. Now I understand why. We cut to a short run-through of Kent's origin as Dr. Fate. He was at a dig with his dad. He unearthed Nabu, the gas that had kept Nabu asleep in his um, chamber, we'll call it escaped when Kent opened it. It knocked him out and ended up killing his dad. Uh, Nabu put Kent in a uh, suspended animation-y kind of magical holding so that he could teach the boy and slow his uh, physical development at the same time. When everything was done, he was released as Dr. Fate Beholden, as we have found to Nabu, uh, particularly when he puts on this helmet. Now, there was a while, for those of you that may not know, that he eschewed this full helmet and used a partial helmet of his own creation that covered just his eyes and his nose. And during the Golden Age, he was running around, still able to do some stuff because of residual magic from having been controlled by Nabu. Couldn't necessarily wield magic full out, but he could fly and he was super strong and he still had the really cool blue and gold outfit. So he wore that too, only with a half helm. Then, uh, because he he found out that this full helm uh, had a direct link to Nabu, Nabu something resided in it or it was a conduit to wherever Nabu was or whatever, but it was affecting his brain. And so he decided for a while that he wasn't going to use it. And then somewhere along the way, which I believe is a story that hasn't been told, he picked up the full helm and started wearing it again. And this may be, I unfortunately can't remember off the top of my head. I know the rest of the Golden Age after an early period was the half helm. And during his, although during his um, team-ups appearances with the Justice Society JLA team-ups, I believe those have all been full helm. I'm not sure, but I, I don't believe that the story of why he put the full helm back on has been told yet. I'll have to do some research. I'll get back to you on that next episode. Miles away, the cold hotel room in which a lonely woman broods grows colder still. This is Inza. Um, she's going back over her mind, uh, believing that maybe she made a mistake or rushing out like that, particularly leaving Kent when... Kent probably doesn't deserve her um, her anger. Nabu or 
whatever it is that he becomes, Kent becomes, when he puts on that helmet, that's who she should be mad at, but not Kent himself. Just like all of those descriptors and, and definitions she made for who Kent was, her husband, she realizes that that is Kent, her husband, not who she's mad at. So she goes, she's going to find uh, Kent and see now if she can help him. We cut to Callus in his zombie guise here. Hear me, O great Anubis, hear thy humble servant. He who wham, another big wham, as Dr. Fate has caught up with him and given him a whammy, right? Because if he hits him and it causes a wham, it's, it's a whammy, right? Well, yeah, it, it is to me anyways. So now we start having some back and forth between Callus, who is an ancient Egyptian uh, pseudo-deity. And a servant of Nabu, Nabu, who himself was set up as an Egyptian yeah, semi-deity, who threw down Callus during his deity-ness, right? So uh, they have a lot in common. Kent, uh, he's just a, a messenger boy. We do have Kent here calling on the god of trickery, Tiscatlipoca. Should have looked that up. I'm not sure if that's legitimate or not. But he's casting a a red onk spell on Callus now, and we're going to see what happens. He is siphoning all of the light from the city of Boston. I think Kent's Tower, well, Kent's Tower is outside Salem, but yeah, we've already been told that this museum that Callus escaped from was in Boston. So Callus is in the Boston area already. So yeah, makes sense that all of the light that gets sucked out of something would be sucked out of Boston. It's the nearest large light well, I guess we can say. Well, the only light for hundreds of miles now appears at the fingertips of the Golden Gladiator. And through this red circlet of onks, he fires Kent, or uh, Dr. Fate, fires this collection of energy at Callus, and he is being, or he is, let's see, he is disintegrated, so it appears, by the light, because being a servant of Anubis, Anubis is darkness, the god of, I don't think he's the god of darkness, I think, I thought Anubis was like the god of death or the underworld, something like that, but they, light is a weakness for Anubian followers, so Callus is seemingly destroyed by this light. Kent is, uh, Dr. Fate is knelt down looking at the remains of Callus to try to determine exactly what's happened when Inza drives up on him. Uh, how she found him, I have no idea. But she has a, frag a fragment of the mummy's sarcophagus. So she left the hotel and went to the museum, sniffed around, found something that she thought would be useful, and then I don't know, tracked Dr. Fate down somehow. I guess the big nimbus of uber light energy was kind of the North Star as to where he was. Here, look at these hieroglyphics revealing the mummy's magical name. Apparently, the Egyptians couldn't seal his coffin unless they invoked it. Honey, listen, what I said earlier, Kent, I mean, Dr. Fate, I mean, never mind. I, I keep forgetting there are two of you, my husband and Dr. Fate. And Dr. Fate says, you've been a great help, Miss Nelson. Thank you. Swell, she says. Now, excuse me, I must return the city lights. So this is Dr. Fate that she's talking to. Fate goes into Boston, returns all the light to everything so that everyone can see. And lo and behold, now a giant sphinx and pyramid are sitting somewhere 
in Boston, having you know trashed and destroyed huge huge portions of the city. Um, I'm not exactly sure if I'm supposed to recognize what part of Boston, other than just over Boston, these materialized. So there's the connection with the cover. Uh, there is a sphinx that has been uh, teleported or projected onto this land that is Boston. Uh, the cover, Dr. Fate, trying to stop the Sphinx from descending onto the town and crushing that portion of it. So uh, maybe, maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, we didn't say see Dr. Fate do that. So I, it's, a, it's a loose connection to the cover. Callus with the amulet. Uh, he is speaking to Anubis, asking for power. Uh, Anubis says he doesn't recognize him, says it's been too long or whatever. I don't know. You know, who who are you? What do you want? And in his fit of it's me, it's me, it's, yeah, never mind. I was thinking of, uh, yeah. Um, Callus rips the bandages off of his head and face, revealing the, uh, you know, partially decomposed. Actually, there's a lot more flesh on the bones than I would assume. It, it looks like a slightly decomposed human being, uh, the, the way that the, the flesh is drawn, not something that is thousands of years old decomposed. So he's he's still in decent shape to be as old as he is, you know. I I, I hope to be. Yeah. No. So Doctor Fate uh, sees him now and descends upon Callus. But as he is, he is struck by a magical spell thrown by Callus, wielding the Ankh, uh, not the Ankh, the uh, symbol of Anubis. The air is shattered by a sound like the clacking of razor sharp castanets as thousands of the talons bite into the man named Fate. I, I don't quite understand what razors, how razors in, a, in castanets. I mean, I know the sound castanet, it's a sharper sound, I guess, or a thinner sound. Yeah, I don't get that. A lot of hyperbole there, uh, meaning nothing, perhaps. Straining, he sustains a magical aura to protect his body. Does Dr. Fate? A couple more ads here. What have we got? I have been talking about the ads. Superhero stick ons for your walls and a kick sand in his face. Charles Atlas ad. Ah, yes. Then the next page is a full page ad for a subscription to the amazing world of DC Comics. Or no, not a subscription. Uh, it allows you to buy issues three through eight that are available. And now it's a overall DC Comics subscription box. And the subscriptions on this one include Action, The Superman Family, Superman, World's Finest, Shazam, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Detective, Justice League, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, The Unexpected, The Witching Hour, Young Love, Our Army at War, and Tarzan. And besides each is a number and then a box to check mark. And the numbers go from 1 to 75, even though there's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 books. So I wonder if that 75 is the total number of books available for subscription, and they just picked them and have the number. Um, it's not even necessarily in alphabetical order. So hmm. Batman and Robin on that one. All right, Dr. Fate breaks out of the razor-sharp castanet sounding magical energy, which it was lines of some geometrical pattern. Um, I'm not sure I recognize it. looks like lines of maybe multiple spear points, like ribbons of energy, and on it are rows of four, like maybe spear points, one, one after the other, along the length of the... Yeah. 
not sure what it's supposed to be, just pretty picture that Walt was able to draw, I suppose. Using the sarcophagus seal, Dr. Fate spins a spell using Callus's real name and smushes him using uh, with, with the help of energy from Amun-Ra. Callus falls, the amulet of Nabu slash Anubis falling onto the pile now of dusty, dirty remains that were Callus. And he grabs it up and fists it, and Inza drives up and rescues him, takes him home in the car, and he quickly, when she touches him, takes off his helm. So he is not Dr. Fate speaking to her. He is Kent Nelson. And Dr. Fate, you know something, husband mine? I think maybe I can learn to live with him after all, she says as she's driving back home to the tower outside of Salem that has no doors or windows and allowing him to recover. End of story. So, that was a lot more horror-y than I remember Dr. Fate being recently. I wouldn't be opposed to it continuing in that vein, unfortunately. The next book is All-Star Comics, The Resuscitation, issue number 59. So, that being the case, um, Fate is getting back into his superhero-y togs. But this this more horror... Um, Good and bad magic, light and dark magic, order and chaos magic uh, kind of stories, they they could appeal to me if they were done similar to what Martin Pascoe did. So that was that was pretty entertaining for me. I kind of liked it. I liked the the definite usage of what Dr. Fate is, and that, that's a magician. So that yeah, was pretty cool. I dig that. I'd give that a big thumbs up. Recommend anybody read that if you really want to read something about Dr. Fate. It's got that little piece there that gives you the origin, so you you know where he's coming from, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be a, a pretty decent start over, I think, for the character. Were that to be the first issue of an ongoing, or a, you know, a, a soon issue of an ongoing, that would be pretty good. I, I would dig that. Okay, guys, uh, contact was at the top of the show. As I said, All-Star Comics issue number 59 is next up. I will talk to you guys then. Ciao. 